Go over here by the piano. And would the rest of you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Uh, just a reminder, this Tuesday at 7.30 is our church's quarterly business meeting. So if you are a member of the church... Uh, we expect to see you there as we do the, the work of the church. We're a congregationally governed church. And so the church works if the congregation comes and participates. If you're uh, not a member of the church, you are welcome to come anyway and just observe and, and see what goes on. So it's Tuesday night at 7.30. We hope to see you there. All right, Luke chapter 17. And today we're studying verses 17 to 9, 11 to 19. Let me just read this text for you. It says, Now on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When He saw them, He said, Go, Show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this Foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Uh, I still remember very clearly the best Christmas present I ever, ever got as a kid. My very favorite Christmas present. Uh, when I was a little kid, I was really into the Star Wars movies. I saw them all. I have them all. I still have them all memorized. I, I collected the little action figures. I still have the little action figures. Um, and, and I remember one Christmas, my grandma Rennie sent me, as a Christmas present in the mail, she lived in Nebraska, she sent me the Death Star, which was, you know, the ultimate, I think, Star Wars toy ever created. It, it seemed like about this big when I was a kid. It was, you could put all the action figures in it. And, you know, I was so into that toy. I recreated all the battles from the movie and... You know, loved it so much. But I, I remember my parents telling me that I had to thank Grandma. Uh, because at that time, it really was a generous gift given, you know, how much it cost and, you know, what her income was and all that. And I, I, don't, I can't remember if, if I had to make a phone call or write a letter or something, but I just remember not wanting to do that as a kid. And I don't know why, but I just, I didn't want it. I just wanted to play with it. Like, why do I have to talk, you know, to Grandma? Can I just play with my toy? And you know, that's how kids are, right? You have to teach kids to be thankful. I have to be taught to be thankful. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to kids. You know, at Christmas time, you know, we're always taking our kids by the face and pointing their face to Uncle, you know, Jimmy or whoever and saying, thank Uncle Jimmy for the, you know, breakdancing Elmo or whatever it is. <laughs> Just say thank you. And the kid's like, thank you, Uncle Jimmy. And then they go back to playing. Kids have to be forced to do this. 
God is the great giver of all gifts. Every gift you have ever received, any good thing in your life is from God. Even the things you think that you earned through your hard work and ingenuity are gifts from God. Because who gave you the ingenuity? Who gave you the opportunity? Who gave you the hard work? It's all a gift from God. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And so God is the great gift giver. Uh, And ultimately, God himself is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And yet, you know, I and we are so much like little kids. You know, I'm so absorbed with my Death Star play set, this piece of plastic, let's be honest, that I, I can't appreciate the human being and richness that is my grandmother. And so rather than enjoying a relationship with her, I'm so obsessed with a plastic toy. And that's just how we are uh, as sinful human beings. We're like foolish little kids. We you know, are obsessed with the things of this life, with the blessings God gives us, with money and with relationships and success and toys and all these things. And, and we don't appreciate the Creator. Instead, we just latch on to the creation, which is what the Bible calls idolatry. is to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And, and so it's just like little kids. We, we latch on to those things. And we never really appreciate the giver because we're so absorbed in the gifts. Well, this text about this healing of the ten lepers is all about the gift and the giver. Here are ten men who receive a great gift and only one of them gets it and comes back to the giver of the gift to receive not just gift but giver as well, which is the whole point. So let's just jump into the story here, verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So just to kind of give you a sense of where that is, uh, you know, think of the Middle East, think of Israel. If you can think of a map here, like here's Israel and here's the Mediterranean Sea and like down here's Egypt. You got that? And uh, in in Israel there was the northern part called Galilee, but by the Sea of Galilee. Then in the middle were were where the Samaritans, those half-breed, whacked-out religious people were that the Jews hated. And then underneath them uh, was Judah, and that's where Jerusalem was, was in Judah, and this is where the Dead Sea was down here. So you kind of have the map. So here's Jesus. He's between Galilee and Samaria. He's right on the border, and typically Jews did not travel through Samaria because of their uh, distaste for Samaritans. And so here's Jesus. He's traveling along. In verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Um, There's ten guys with leprosy. Uh, And and when you hear the word leprosy in the the Bible, whether it's uh, in the New Testament word for it, the Greek word or the Hebrew, it's not talking just about leprosy. It was kind of a blanket term for any kind of skin disease or skin infection. Uh, And it could be leprosy or what we call today Hansen's disease which is, you know, numbness and discoloration and sometimes ulcers and, you know, in bad cases, gangrene. I mean, it's a horrible disease. Uh, but, but it was more than just Hansen's disease. It could be psoriasis. It could be um, lupus, uh, favus, ringworm. You know, j- just anything that, that was spreading on your skin in, in some kind of way. And uh, what's important in this verse, if you look at verse 12 at the very end, is it says the men stood at a distance. Do you see that? Now, they stood at a distance because that's what they were required to do by the law of Moses. 
See, if you, you know, if you look in the Law of Moses, especially Leviticus chapter 13, you don't have to turn there. It's kind of, I don't know, it's interesting reading, I guess. It's a whole chapter devoted to teaching the priests in Israel how to detect infectious spreading skin diseases. It's really fascinating reading. You know, it's the kind of stuff where you're trying to, I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to start at Genesis, and then you hit Leviticus, and you're like reading about mildew and infectious skin diseases, and you're like, what? Why is this in the Bible? But so, so there's all these things where the priest is supposed to determine what is an infectious skin disease. And, and if he finds it, this is the important thing, the person who has the disease has to stay outside of the, the community of Israel. So let me just read uh, the key portion to you from Leviticus 13, verse 45. It says, The person with such an infectious disease, here we go, must wear torn clothes... Let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Think about that. That is tremendously devastating. So, So really what I think leprosy was, and the reason these laws are there, is it's a very vivid picture of what sin does to us. That sin separates us from God and it separates us from one another. Sin makes us spiritually unclean before God. And so God instituted this kind of very vivid imagery in the life of the community to help them see how important it was to be in a right relationship with God. So here's this person. Uh, not just with some horrible disease that they have to battle against, as if that were bad enough, but now they're socially ostracized. They, they can't be with their family because they're unclean. Anytime anyone comes near them, you know, it's like when you have the flu or a cold and someone's like, hey, how you doing? Oh, mm, got, mm, don't, don't shake my hand. I'm, mm, I'm sick. You know, it, it's like that except all the time. Unclean, unclean. They live this sort of zombie-like existence on the edges of town. I mean, it, think if you were in that condition. How would you provide for yourself? How would you engage in commerce or business? Because you can't trade with people. You can't go into the marketplace and sell things and buy things. So what are you going to do? I, I think that's why the lepers were all together because it's probably the only way they could survive was to band together. That's why they have leper colonies because they need community. They need to be able to provide for themselves. So here's this little leper uh, colony, these ten guys banding together. But worst of all, not only were they cut off from health and from family and from society, but they were most importantly cut off from the worship of God with the people of God. Because they were ritually unclean, they could not go into the temple. They could not worship in the temple. They could not be a part of the synagogue worship and the worship of the people of God. I thought, you know, imagine this isolation. They were like life in prison, except there's no prison. They're just separated and cut off from everything around them. It's a miserable, hopeless situation. And I was thinking, have you ever found yourself in a seemingly miserable, hopeless situation? Something that's just so bad, you're like, there's no way this could ever get worked out. It's, it's too far gone. Uh, maybe it is some physical condition like this, and you know it's chronic, and the doctors say, look, there's nothing we can do to cure this. We can help you manage it, but that's it. You're just stuck. Uh, or, or maybe it's a, a, a dysfunctional marriage or a dysfunctional family. You're like, my family is so messed up. My family is so sick. Nothing could ever fix my family. It's 
hopelessly, miserably twisted and broken. And it's just sick. And so my goping strategy is I try to spend as little time with him as possible because it's so broken and distorted. Uh, or, or maybe you uh, know what it's like to try to come out of an addiction, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or some other addictive behavior. And it's like, okay, this time I'm really going to stop. And so you, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Here I go. I'm going to do it this time. And then you do it again. <sighs> God, it's hopeless. I'll never change. Nothing can rescue me from this mess. And, and that's where these guys are at. They're in a hopelessly miserable, seemingly uh, unremediable situation. And the only thing they have left to do is they see Jesus and they're like, well, I heard Jesus can do something. So what the heck? Why not? Hey, Jesus, over here, have mercy on us. And they call out to him. Look what happens, verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Uh, now, who are the priests? Uh, well, I mean, why, why go to the priests? Well, remember, the priests, according to Leviticus 13, going back to that passage I was referencing before, they're the ones who determined whether or not someone was ritually unclean. So Jesus is saying, hey, go, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they go, they're cleansed. And so these ten lepers have received a great gift from God. I mean, perhaps the greatest gift that they could ever imagine in their lives from their perspective. To be cleansed from this disease and from leprosy. They're set free from it. And you know, God didn't owe it to them. They simply asked. And in His mercy, God gave them an enormous gift. Um, And you know, I think we see who Jesus is here. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the all-powerful, all-compassionate One. I mean, look at the heart and the power of Christ here. He's both able to do the impossible and He's also willing to do the impossible. Jesus can do anything. He is the One who can break through and break past even the worst situations. Uh, You know, and that's why we pray as a church. That's why we pray. You know, why do we pray? Because we want to appear like we're all religious? No! We pray because we're messed up. (laughs) We're like, God, the situation's messed up. And we tried this and we tried that. And, you know, we should have tried you first, but we didn't. But here we are. Help us, Lord. That's why we pray. It's because we need God's power in our lives. And you know the cool thing is, He actually answers our prayers. That's one of the really cool things about being in the church, especially from my vantage point, is I get to hear people pray, and then I see answers to prayer. And it's so amazing. Does God always give us everything we ask for? No. Sometimes he says, "Mm, just wait. Sometimes it's no because of another reason. But he does answer prayers. Um, We have prayed for marriages in our church and we've seen God uh, do something in those marriages. We have prayed for um, people being out of work in our church and God has provided amazing job opportunities. There was a Bible study in this church. I don't know if it's still going, but it actually wasn't a Bible study. It was sort of like a prayer group. It was Thursday morning. And it was a couple of guys who were out of work. They're like, well, let's get together Thursday morning, have breakfast and pray. Maybe God will help us. And then it just kind of became a thing for a while. And so if some guy in the church was out of work, especially a couple of years ago when we were having that recession, they would come to this group and everyone would pray for them, but then they would tend to get a job and go out of the group. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to maintain a Bible study where everyone is, you know, you're praying that people will be able to leave uh, via employment. So, but it was the coolest thing. And, and so many men were encouraged as they gathered together in little bands 
You know, and it's, it's embarrassing when you're a man and you're out of work. I mean, it's just part of being a guy. You, you want to be able to say, I have a, a job. And uh, it's just sort of tough when you're out of work. So these guys would get together and they're like, you know, that little band of lepers. We're going to pray that God is going to do something. And they called out to Jesus and he would do things. Um, God has healed people in our church. You know, there's, there's no faith healer here. I don't call people up on stage and boom, you know, or whatever. We don't do that. But we pray for people. And we've seen people be healed. I could introduce you to some of them. People who go to the doctors and the doctors are like, ah, I don't know how this happened, but something happened and you don't have X anymore. We've had those kinds of stories. It's not because there's a faith healer. We just pray. We ask God. God still heals people physically today. Does he do it every time? No. But he does it when he so wills. God answers all kinds of prayers uh, and um, in fact, there's another lady in our church. Her name's Judy. She told this story publicly in one of our services, so I, I think I can tell it here. But she was praying for her father for decades, that her father would come to know Jesus. Her father didn't want anything to do with Christ. He was all set. Prayed for him, prayed for him. He became very elderly. Every Sunday, we get a little blue prayer request slip from her saying, please pray for my father. And then one Sunday, we get a blue prayer request slip saying, my father came to know the Lord. And we're all like, Huh? <laughs> No, he didn't, because we you know, pray for him every week and nothing ever happens. You know? That's the routine. And, and then a few weeks later, he died. Just in time. God worked a miracle in his heart. And, and so you've got to keep praying. That's who we are. We're the community of people who pray. And, and I think we also need to be the kind of church not only that believes in the power of Jesus and is willing to pray and keep praying if there's no immediate answer, but we also need to be the kind of church that welcomes in the lepers, whoever they may be, the people who are yucky or hard to like or aren't like us or whatever. And we need to welcome them into our church. And, you know, sometimes you, you meet people whose lives are so broken, you don't even know what to do for them. You're just like, I'm so overwhelmed by your situation. But there's always one thing we can do. We can always say, you know what? Put my arm around you. We're going to cry out to Jesus together. I don't know what to do except pray. So let's just start praying together. I will join you and support you in crying out to Jesus that He would do something in your life. And so Christ is, is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is sovereign over all areas of your life. And we come as the people of God to cry out to Him. Not because we're righteous or religious or better than other people, but because we recognize our need of God. And so we gather together to pray and to, to trust in Him. And so these guys crowd to God and God gives them a great gift. Look at, as they went, they were cleansed. I, I wish I could see what that was like. Like, how did they figure that out? You know, I, I've said this before, I've watched way too many movies in my life. And so whenever I read the Bible, I often think of it as a movie. I'm like, how would I film this, right? And, you know, first of all, Jesus is like, go show yourselves to the priests. And they're probably like, uh, we have, and we have leprosy, uh, you know, why should we go to the priest? I mean, look at us. He's just going to tell us, yep, you still have leprosy. Whatever. We'll do it, Jesus. That's what you say, we'll do it. And so they all trundle off together, all ten of them. And I wonder, like, who figured it out first? Was, like, one of the guys talking to another one of the guys, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what happened to your face? What, what, what? You know, that, that thing you always had in your face. Is it? It's not there. And it's like, oh, it's not there. Look at my hands. And then they start looking, and then, you know, they're peeling off robes to check all these nasty skin blotches and rashes and sores that they've had. And they're like, you know, it's clean. And then they're looking at each other and, and maybe they're, they're laughing. Maybe there's, you know, t- 
tears running down their faces. Maybe there's embraces and there's singing and jumping around and they can't believe it. It's too good to be true. And then what happens? Now, in my movie version, none of them go to the priest because they don't care anymore. They're so happy. They just want to go home. They want to see their families. They want to go see their loved ones. I don't know what happened. I'm just making this up at that point. But, um, but, but so they're running off and they're going to do wherever they go. All, not, all of them run off except one guy. One guy stops. And look at verse, where is it? 15. One of them. One out of ten. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. So here's Jesus and his entourage moving on to the next thing. And coming back down the road is this dude, you know, hey, wait up, woo, you know, who's this? Oh, it's that leper guy. Hey, unclean, unclean. Ah, he just keeps coming and coming. And, you know, he's just praising God. He's going out of his mind. He's so happy. In a loud voice, he's praising God. But you know, that's not the remarkable thing. Because if you study the miracle stories in the Gospel of Luke, whenever there's a miracle, the response is typically praising God. Even from the crowds. And the crowds in the Gospel of Luke tend to be very fickle. They can go one way or the other. They can be swayed very easily. So the crowds are not solid disciples. And and even the crowds praise God when there's a miracle. I mean, if you saw a miracle right up here, even if you really weren't a Christian, you'd probably be like, wow, that was pretty amazing. You know, maybe there is a God. I mean, who knows? You would probably be saying something positive too. What isn't amazing isn't that he praises God. What's amazing is verse 16, is that he identifies Jesus as the source of the gift. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. You know, of all people to get it, of all people to be the model disciple for us in this story, it's the leprous Samaritan. I mean, you couldn't pick a more unlikely character unless it was like a leprous Samaritan tax collector. I mean, that would be, you know, maybe, maybe that would be more unlikely. But besides that, this is the most unlikely guy to be the role model of discipleship for us. But what is it about him? He sees Jesus. And that's what distinguishes him. Not just that he's happy, not just that he thanks God or had enough faith to be healed, but that he recognizes Christ as the source of the gift. And so he goes from gift to giver, and he falls not just on the ground praising God, but at the feet of Jesus and thanks Jesus specifically as the Savior. And look how Jesus responds. Verse 17, Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? That's a pretty interesting response, isn't it? Like, you know, if, if that happened, you know, I think my response would be like, hey, buddy, don't get at my feet. You know, God healed you. It was a miracle. You know, hey, I'm just a conduit. Don't, you know, don't focus on me. But when Jesus heals, he's like, where are the other nine? There should be ten guys here bowing before me. Like, you know, who does Jesus think he is? God, right? Uh, where are the other guys? There should be ten people here worshiping at my feet. And, and so he commends this one leper for praising God by thanking Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of, of this gift. He is God's messenger. He is God's man. He is God in man. 
among us. He is Emmanuel. And so there's Jesus. He heals him. And then look what he says to the leper. This is very interesting. Look at verse 19. Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has... Then your English Bible says, Made you well. In Greek, the, the verb is to save. So it literally says in Greek, Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Which I thought was interesting because... That, that word in Greek for save can be translated to make well in some circumstances, but you know it often has a much more broad meaning. You know, to be saved is to be saved, at least in Luke, into the kingdom of God. It's to be saved from your sins. It's to be saved from judgment and to be brought into a right relationship with God. Uh, so, so I just kind of wonder, like, what is Jesus really saying there? Is this a good translation? Especially considering the fact that Jesus has just got done sort of publicly rebuking the other nine, even though they were healed, right? So they had enough faith to be healed. They asked God healed them. But they're not coming back and giving thanks. So Jesus has publicly rebuked them, and now he turns to the one to commend him for his faith. And it would seem strange to me if all he was saying was, you had enough faith to be healed. It seems that you know he's focusing on something specific that this one guy has that the others don't have. And so I think that when he says your faith has saved you, he means more than just your faith made you well. I think what he's saying is your faith has has brought you into the kingdom of God. You're acting like a disciple. And what is it that makes him like a disciple? It's that he focuses on Jesus. That's the entrance into the kingdom of God is that it's very specific God did not come and just say, hey, everybody love me in some general vague sense. The way into the kingdom of God has become enfleshed in a person, Jesus Christ. He is the way. That's what he said. And so he says, your faith has saved you in a deeper sense of that word because you have come to Jesus. And so the question I have to ask myself, we have to ask ourselves is, have we come to embrace Jesus or are we simply enjoying the gifts of God? Am I like the nine who God's blessed me and I'm like, hey God, or, or have I come to really trust and treasure Jesus Christ as the giver of the gifts? Uh, have I come to that point? Is this a different thing even though they're related? Am I still like myself when I was a little kid and I liked the the Star Wars, Death Star, or have I come to really see and appreciate Grandma for who she is? Um, Because, you know, it's very possible to be religiously active, to be an active church attender, to be involved in ministries in the church, and to receive blessings and gifts from that activity, but still not have Jesus. It's possible to be blessed by being a religious person and yet still not really be saved. That is entirely possible. It happens all the time. I mean, think about some of the gifts that you can receive just by being religiously active. Uh, you, you can receive the gift of encouragement. You know, how many times have I come to church and I, I don't feel in the mood for it? I'm tired. I had a bad week. I have a rough week coming. You know, my thoughts were just all kinds of places driving over here. I wasn't focused on the Lord. I'm thinking, how am I going to get through this coming week? And then we sing a song. And, or or the words of the song, or the words of the text, or something happens in the service. And, you know, it's like it dispels all of that darkness in my soul. And I feel uplifted and encouraged. And I go out of church thinking, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to make it. That's a gift. 
And you can receive that encouragement without knowing Jesus and being saved. That's what I'm saying. Um, or, or maybe you've been to some of the classes here in the church or in some church. Uh, maybe you've been to the couple's Sunday school class. Great class. Uh, maybe you were at the Disciple Training Institute this fall and you took the course on conflict resolution or on finances and you gained some really good life skills from that. That's a gift. You know, God's Word is very practical. You know, even if you're not a Christian, if you try to live by biblical principles, surprise, surprise, it's going to actually help your life because it works. It, it, it's functional. It's practical. But, but you can do that and still not know Christ and know the giver. Um, maybe you've put your children in the kids' programs or sent them to the junior high or senior high ministry and you've seen the positive effect in your children and that's a blessing or a gift that God has given you. Or maybe you've made some friendships in this church over the years that you wouldn't have known otherwise. And you say, you know, it's, I'm so glad I was in that church because otherwise I wouldn't have known so-and-so and so-and-so. And what a gift people are in the community of the church. Um, maybe through the church you came to believe in a higher power and through a, a program were able to overcome addiction. That's a huge gift from God. I mean, that's like almost like being cleansed from leprosy. If you've ever struggled through that, to come out of the bonds of addiction is like the greatest freedom. It's an amazing gift. But you can do that and still not know Jesus. So, do you know Jesus? I remember this one lady. This is way back. She doesn't go to church here anymore, but they moved away. But anyway, I remember she used to come. She was an ardent follower of Jesus, very active in her faith. Her husband wasn't. Didn't make any pretensions about it. But he was very gracious. He came to church with her. I can still remember them sitting there. I can see them. And I guess one day, uh, you know, the husband said to the wife, well, I'm really enjoying Jeremy's sermons. And, you know, she was like, really? You know, she, she told me this. She was so excited. She's like, well, what are you getting out of it? You know, she wants to know. He says, well, it's great. He goes, because usually Jeremy says something that, that I can work into one of my sales talks with my people during the week. <laughs> it's great. You know? And she's like, you're not getting it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really happy if I increase your sales. And, um, you know, and you can show your appreciation by tithing. So, um, but, you know, it's not about sales talks. There's all these gifts that come from being around the people of God. There's all these gifts you can receive. But... Do you have Jesus? Have you laid hold of Him? Have you laid at His feet? Have you put your trust in Christ? And it's not just kind of like, hey, the gifts are great and here's something better. But it's, if you don't lay hold of Christ, then all of the other things profit you nothing in the end. It's, even, it's a dire situation. If you have everything that the world has to offer and God blesses you in every conceivable way with family and health and athleticism and success and prestige and a second this and a third that and HDTV and you have everything. You have the whole package. But you don't have Jesus. And you're still utterly lost in your sins. You are still under the judgment of God. And the only way out of that is through the blood of Jesus. Because we are all spiritual lepers. That's the thing. We all have leprosy. It's called sin. And we all deserve to be cast out of the presence of God. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There is a cure for our sin problem. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And if you don't have Jesus, then it doesn't matter if you have all the other stuff. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
but loses his soul. What does it matter? You know, I would even go as far as, what does it matter if you got out of your addiction, but you never come to Jesus? You know, maybe just stay drinking because, you know, I don't know. You know, you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying drink. I'm saying, what does it matter in the ultimate eternal scheme of things? Because you come out of one sin, but you're lost in the other ones. You know, we all are. I'm not saying you. I'm saying all of us. Because we are sinners in need of the grace of God. And Jesus is that cleansing, healing Savior for all of us. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're really saved, if you're really a Christian in the biblical sense? Because, you know, I know the word Christian, everyone says they're a Christian. But how do you know if you really are, like in the way Jesus and the church has historically used the term? And let me suggest one diagnostic tool for you. It's, It's not the only thing you can do, but here's one question you can ask yourself. Do I treasure Christ? Because true followers of Christ not just believe in God or not just want to be a good person, but they treasure Jesus. And not just in the sense of, yes, I think he was a good moral teacher and an example, but you know, in that Savior and Lord, fall on your face, love him kind of treasuring. That flame is in the heart of every true believer, that they love Christ. And out of that comes the Christian life. Love of Jesus is the flame that ignites the whole Christian life. If you don't have the love, of Je- love for Jesus in your heart, then the Christian life is just going to be a clunky machine. But when it's there, it just comes alive. Because when I love Jesus, then I start to hate sin. Because I want to obey Jesus. And when I do sin, then I'm grieved that I've hurt the one and, and disobeyed the one that I love. Um, when I love Jesus, I'm going to love His words. You know, I'm going to believe that He's risen from the dead. I'm going to believe He's the Son of God. If you love Jesus, you love the words of Jesus. If you love Jesus, I believe you will love the body of Jesus, the church. I think those go hand in hand. I mean, that's why to be a Christian is to be in a local church. That's how we live it out because this is the body of Jesus. Because if I love Jesus, I'll love His body and I'll love His people with all of their warts and uh, angular personalities. I'm going to love them because here's Jesus' body. So do you have the love for Jesus in your heart? Do you love Him? Do you worship Him? Is He your Savior and Lord? C.S. Lewis uh, told a little story that I've always thought was a great picture of this relationship between the gift, the giver, and you know, moving from the former to the latter. Uh, he told the story of one time he was in a, a shack. It was like a tool shed or something. And he went in the shed and, and the door shut behind him and it was very dark. But coming through the cracks in the door and the little holes in the door were these beams of light. You know how when you're in a dark room and sunlight comes in, you can see like the specific beam of sunlight. It's really cool. And you can see the dust particles floating there and you, know, you put your hand in front of it. and it's, the, it's a really beautiful thing. And so he sat there for a while in the shed just admiring and enjoying these shafts of light that were coming through the door. But then he did something different. He walked over to the shafts of light and got down and sort of looked up through them and out through the cracks in the door, he could see you know, the brilliant blue of the sky and the green trees. And he saw you know, there's a beautiful world out there. And what Lewis essentially was saying then, and I'm not going to ever be as eloquent as he is, but his point was that those beams of light are like the gifts that God gives us in our lives. And we enjoy them. They're beautiful. But the point is to see that there is a giver of those gifts. There is a light outside. That's where the true life is. And so that's where we are. And if we never open up the door and go to Christ, we're still stuck in the shack of our sin. 
We're still lost and in darkness. And God has sent these beams into your life to say, I'm here. That's why good things are in your life, because God is saying, I'm a good God, I'm here. And He's calling us to get down and look up and see Him and open the door and go out to Him. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Have you ever opened the door and gone to Christ? and experience the life and the salvation that He has to give you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that at this moment You would shine the light of Your beauty into our souls, shine through the cracks of our walls and our doors. Lord, help us to see the gifts that You've given us as mere emblems of Your own goodness and beauty. Help us to move from gift to giver. And Lord, I pray for um, anyone here who's never come to know You, Jesus, that You would put in their hearts a hunger and a thirst to know You that would transcend family issues and transcend the church and transcend the preacher. And it would just be a call from You to them on their hearts and that they would respond not to me or to the church or to their family, but they would respond to you, Jesus. That they would be able to say, I know Jesus because he has called me to himself. And Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you, that we would continue to be a people who rejoice in you, Jesus. That we would be a church where we treasure Christ as a church. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be a church that continues to pray, believing that you do miracles. And that we would be a welcoming church so that people who are struggling would find not judgmental, self-righteous, religious people, but they would find fellow pilgrims who are, are, are fellow lepers who can say, hey, I was cleansed, let me show you how. And that we might come alongside people who are in need and love them into the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be in our midst this, this uh, Christmas season. Thank you for this time of year. I pray, Jesus, you would just rescue us from the superficiality and commercialism of it all and help us this Christmas to see Jesus again with fresh eyes to love Him anew. Lord, stoke the flames of love for Jesus in our heart. And may that transform and fuel the entirety of our Christian lives. So we pray this in Your name, Christ. Amen. If I could ask you to stand. Close the service with, what child is this?
service. Our prayer team is here. Come on over here, Sally and Linda. They would love to pray with you after the service about anything going on in your life. Uh, come downstairs after, uh, after the service for a cup of coffee. We have our Sunday school class on how we as a church can better minister to the poor. We're sort of talking about that as a congregation. And um, I hope to see you Tuesday night if you're a member for our quarterly business meeting. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send your people out with joy. Help us to go forward with the kind of joy that those uh, lepers had who are cleansed because we've been saved by your blood. And Lord, help us to love you. Teach us to treasure you, Jesus, to make you our highest uh, goal, our highest glory, our purpose, and our chief love. And so, Lord, use us now to be a light in the darkness. Use us to be salt in a tasteless world. Use us to be your ambassadors this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that, isn't it? 